Hi, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of Compliant with Alliant. Uh, I'm Christine Blanco. I'm the director, national director of compliance here at Alliant Employee Benefits, and I have the pleasure of talking to Jennifer Demura today, who is, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself, Jennifer. Thanks, Christine. Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer Demura, and I lead the national pharmacy practice here at Alliant. Thrilled to be here today to talk about fiduciary responsibility when it comes to your pharmacy benefits. Awesome. So, yeah, I, I'm glad Jennifer didn't bury the lead there. We want to talk to you today <laughs> about um, a very visible case that was recently filed uh, against Johnson & Johnson. And we are not here, you know, please know I'm not here today to speak to the merits of those allegations or any potential liability on any of the parties. But what are some takeaways to consider as you evaluate your Rx program and then actually your entire health plan in general? Because fiduciary duties aren't restricted to pharmacy. They apply across the board. Uh, to your group health plan and so a lot of what we're talking about can be applied more broadly but we want to focus on this because it's top of mind for a lot of folks so i'm going to provide some context some how did we get here kind of uh, context and then run through the legal claims and jennifer is going to you know kind of pop in and talk about the practice and the components and really educate us on this space that has been fairly opaque for um, a lot of years for those of us who don't sort of live, work, and breathe it. So a quick history here. Um, those of you who are clients of Alliant have likely heard us talk to the or speak to the importance of ERISA fiduciary duties. We've been doing that in a pretty meaningful way since 2021, which was you know shortly after the Consolidated Appropriations Act uh, was passed, and you know there's a reason for that. Um, it's really. Um, 2021, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 21 contained a whole host of transparency requirements. And so really those transparency requirements were part of what I consider to be two factors that you know got us where we are right now with respect to fiduciary litigation against group health plans. There's a ton of visibility on the plan that really wasn't vis visible before. So your the cost of your plan, your plan design, your decision making is really much more visible than it has been in the past due to these transparency requirements. And then this is overlaid against a backdrop of a fairly recent history of significant 401k class action litigation based on fiduciary breaches. So there's sort of a plaintiff's bar blueprint for this type of litigation. And so those two things together have you know had us looking at this issue for some time and kind of thinking that we would see this kind of litigation against health plans. And sure enough, we started to see it um, throughout the course of last year, first against TPAs, um, some COBRA issues, data sharing issues, and now uh, the Johnson & Johnson case was filed. So um, I want to talk real quickly about, about the allegations. They're detailed. They run through a number of drug pricing and categorization issues, and they speak to what they call the pharmacy ecosystem, and that's why we're really glad to have Jennifer here to kind of talk to us about that. Um, and before you feel like running from the building on like what do you do as a as a you know plan sponsor hey listen i work in hr you know i'm just doing my best trying to figure out a really complicated space and do its best for my my plan participants and my employees before you you know want to run running for the building you know understand that the overall system has really worked a certain way for you know a number of years without plan sponsors having you know a lot of bargaining power to shift any kind of dynamic or move the needle um and really it's it's what has you know with the impetus for all these transparency rules is for you know folks to better understand what's going on in the marketplace and so um 
you don't need to run screaming from the buildings. You know, industry practice. You know, it, there's a reason why you you know you have advisors and you've been following industry practice. So, um, we're gonna you know switch to the complaint real quickly, and and then I'm gonna really turn it over to Jennifer to really educate us about um, you know what we're looking at here. So. The legal claims in the J&J Johnson & Johnson case is that they breached their fiduciary duties relating to the pharmacy plan, generally the duty of prudence, and I'm not going to bore you with ERISA fiduciary duties, but um, know that that's the allegation. And the first one, and there's a number of them, but I'm going to group them into three and have Jennifer talk to us about them, is uh, the use of traditional PBMs versus what we call a pass-through PBM. And so Jennifer, can you tell us about those? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so the vast majority of employers today are in what is a what is known as a traditional PBM relationship. And so that would be a relationship with one of the big three providers or even a mid-size or smaller PBM who has what's called traditional or spread pricing built into their contract terms. And what spread pricing is is that the PBM pays the pharmacy one amount for a claim and they bill the health plan a different amount for that same claim and they're allowed to keep the difference and that's known as spread. And so with all of the transparency sort of scrutiny that exists in the industry today, we're starting to see the tide change a little bit. Employers are asking more questions um, about how much is the PBM making? You know, what what does this mean for us? Can we um, establish a relationship with a pass-through PBM? And what a pass-through PBM is, is a PBM who pays the pharmacy the same price as they pay, uh, as they build a health plan, and they do not retain any spread pricing on that deal. They pass through 100% of rebates that they obtain um, from pharmaceutical manufacturers, and they only make an administrative fee um, to to pay for the services that they pro- provide. So this is a huge uh, differentiator and something that should be discussed and you should learn about the differences. Oftentimes a traditional PBM will sort of look better um, on a spreadsheet when your advisor is talking to you about comparing different um, PBM pricing models it can be very difficult to understand which one is actually the better financial deal for the plan. So again, just a, having a trusted advisor to help help walk you through the differences and what that looks like is very important. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because um, the the way the complaint is written, and complaints are always written in a way that's as salacious as possible, and, and when you're in such a complex space and you're trying to educate the court, um, you want to make things simple, right? And, and this is why I think some of the 401k class action, you know, we learn from that in in that it simplifies what is a very complex process, those of us in this business know, right? Where, why didn't you do X, you know? Because the court needs, it can't learn the business in one case, right? So there's this idea and an implication, if not outright statement in the complaint that, you know, a pass-through PBM is all, almost always the right decision from a fiduciary standpoint or, and, you know, that's, you know, our thought is, you know, and I think, you know, anyone in the business, it's still a nuanced decision. And a pastor PBM, while you're considering it, right, and I don't want to speak for you, but you have to look at the totality of the, the circumstances, right? That's still the case. That's right. It's There's never a one-size-fits-all approach. And so very important to consider all of the fiduciary considerations when you're making a decision. So looking at things like member disruption, the actual terms of the contract, mm-hmm. what are you allowed to do? So for example, if you are um, 
integrated with sort of a large carrier, they won't always let you carve out to any right. sort of PBM. Right. And so that has to be considered. What is HR's capacity to go through an implementation process? You know, what are the program re requirements, the resources needed for implementation? And then of course, the overall ROI on that decision. And are you, are you gonna get all of the the juice and the squeeze, if you will, right? Um, associated with making a huge change like that. And thank you for that list because you know my advice would be, and again, this isn't necessarily you know this this podcast, but document, document, document all those things that Jennifer just mentioned. You know, defending yourself against a fiduciary breach claim is really about process and what did you go through, and not necessarily the decision you made. But if you you go through all of those, you answer those questions deliberately about how you got where you where you did. Um, you're going to be in a lot better space than, than a lot of a lot of plans that just aren't documenting those you know yeah. those decisions. So um, okay, can we move on to the next set? Sure. We get? Okay, Absolutely. good. So the next sort of group of allegations, which is interesting to me. I know I've been in this business long enough to know that when I read this, I went, huh? Okay, well, this is nobody does this. But the deference, there was a problem with the deference of uh, of the plan sponsor to the PBM on formulary. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, what is a formulary, yeah. right? So a formulary is essentially a preferred drug list that is typically managed by the PBM, um, which is 100% absolute industry standard. And so as you can imagine, as an HR representative or the fiduciary for the plan to have the clinical knowledge and expertise to be able to decide if something should or should not be on formulary would be virtually impossible and likely inappropriate. Um, so most all PBMs have what's known as a National Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee, which is comprised of physicians of all different specialties, pharmacists that go through a very specific process to determine the clinical appropriateness of a drug and then also the cost efficiency of a drug. And so they take things like rebates and um, acquisition cost pricing to really determine what is the best option for their clients as far as formulary decisions go. So I would say, you know, out of this case, I would certainly hope that the expectation would not be that HR teams are responsible for deciding formulary appropriateness. Right. And, and again, the importance of trusted advisors, right, right, who have your fiduciary interests. Um, okay, so the third, the third sort of grouping of, of claims, and again, there's a lot in there, and is, I don't want to have any implication that this is an exhaustive review, but um, carving out uh, specialty pharmacy mm -hmm. was a claim that um, it was problematic from a fiduciary standpoint that they did not carve out specialty Rx. And before I turn it over to Jennifer, um, you know, actually, Jennifer take it take it away and I'll, I'll make some comments after that sure so so what is a specialty drug right so specialty drugs are typically infused or self-injected medications that tend to be very expensive and so there are some misaligned incentives in the industry right so if you think about almost every PBM owns their own specialty pharmacy and so you can see the concern with that is that PBMs are then incentivized to dispense more specialty drugs, which is obviously not aligned with a plan incentive of proper utilization, controlling costs, and things of that nature. And so a phenomenon in the industry is that carve-out specialty vendors have 
have come into the market. They are definitely starting to gain steam. We, we certainly have experience with clients who have carved out specialty and experienced um, significant savings, but also those same considerations that we talked about earlier. You know, not every PBM contract will allow a client to carve specialty out because that's a big piece of the overall financial picture of the deal. And so what you should be doing is learning about these things, having a trusted advisor who's educating you on how the system works, who the different players are, and developing strategic plans that really identify sort of a timeline of when it might be appropriate to consider things like carving out specialty. Great, okay. So with that, I think we'll shift back to, you know, what are the claims here? ERISA is an interesting statute in terms of, you know, lawsuits and recovery. Um, and, and so it's equitable relief, meaning um, a breach that caused harm to the plan. And so, they have to, you know, the plaintiffs have to allege, you know, the, the damage to the plan. And, and so they are alleging here that overpayment for drugs, uh, the Johnson & Johnson's overpayment for drugs increased participant cost sharing, also increased the cost of coverage to the premium because there's really two components, right, when you're in a health plan. So you have, you know, your premium payment and then once you're in the plan, what is your out-of-pocket exposure? So those two components are alleged to have increased as a result of the decision-making here. And then also depressed wages. Now, again, on the rent screaming from the building note, I think it's important for, um, if you know, you're a mid-market plan and, you know, um, which a lot of our clients are, to understand what made Johnson & Johnson sort of a unique type of target or why it might make sense that they're the first one to be named here, especially in a pharmacy suit, is obviously they're a drug manufacturer, right? So um, the story there just looks a little juicier from a plaintiff's law perspective. Moreover, it's important to understand that Johnson & Johnson has a funded plan, which means all of their plan assets are in a trust. And so that means there is more money at issue that is plan assets that can be used to recover damages. That's a little bit technical and nuanced, um, but it is a, an important factor of why um, there's potentially more risk and more damage available there versus sort of your standard self-funded plan where um, you're, you're funding your plan out of general assets. You're not, you haven't created a trust to do that. The component of your plan that's plan assets is, is the employee contribution portion, which is generally much smaller than the employee portion. So that's sort of, you know, what made this ripe. I, we imagine that this initial wave of litigation, those are the types of plans that will be targeted, but it doesn't mean that um, we should not be aware of, you know, fiduciary duties generally, this new type of risk to plans. I've said for a long time that, you know, compliance has been this thing that it kind of flies under the radar. You know, the IRS doesn't come down in helicopters generally to come get you, but, uh, and litigation has been pretty sparse, but it's a little bit of a new era because of those two sort of, you know, underlying components, transparency and a blueprint for this litigation in 401k. And so the action items, I think, you know, Jennifer said them, right? Just have a trusted advisor who understands the space, who has your, you know, your fiduciary obligations in mind when they're they're advising you and that when you make your decisions, um, understand there's not a one size fits all, but you know, document, document, document. Um, you know, I'll make a little plug. Our clients have been working with our fiduciary toolkit for some time now, and uh, we developed it, yeah, I think back in 2022. And it's a good way to frame up, like, how do I look at this? How do I help create a process for this? If you don't already have one. So um, 
what else are we good dad did we cover it all do we think i think i'm good oh, it was so good I'm to good. have you thank, thank you for joining us and thank you guys for uh for listening to us chat about pharmacy